like the ground zero is always honesty. This ability to start, even if it's a very in a very small way, talking about what's going on with you, what had been going on with you, what you're what you actually want. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 509 with guest Laura McCowan. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. First, I need to apologize. I want this to be a professional podcast. However, I don't know how to use the machinery. Equipment is the word I'm looking for. I don't know how to use the equipment that I have. This is just embarrassing, but I tell you guys everything. I have this fancy, expensive podcasting microphone because I am a professional. However, I don't know how to use all these buttons and knobs and things. And somehow they got messed up. I think when I unplugged it and I was listening back to some of my intros and even some of my interviews, I'm like, why does my sound sound terrible? This is not okay. So I beep, boop, boop. I touched some buttons and I made some changes and it's, I feel like it's better. So my apologies if I sound like shit in your ear. I hope I don't. I have a couple of quick announcements, totally switching gears. One is that if you love the podcast, or even if you just like it, I would be so grateful if you would, I put out a survey. It's at andreaowen.com slash survey. And I'm asking you questions like, Hey, who do you want to see on the podcast? What are the topics that you want? Do you like these themes? Or do you like it when I just put out whatever rad guest I come across? Do you want more mini-sodes? Do you want more interviews? Do you want me to stand on my head on Instagram? and recite the alphabet backwards. What, what do you What do you want? Tell me what you want. As much as I like to think that this podcast is all about me, it's really about you. I want to be of service to you and put out the best stuff possible. So you love it and you get so much out of it. So please, I'm also doing a giveaway. I'm giving away books if you fill out the survey in a drawing. AndreaOwen.com slash survey, please, and thank you. The other announcement is that if you are interested in doing the Daring Way work with me in a group at an affordable price, I suggest that you get on my email list. I am opening doors to the Daring Way group program online, and it will start running in April. So we're going to open registration in late March. And if you're not on my email list, because they're the people that get the notifications first. I love you guys too, but a lot of y'all don't listen to the podcast on the day that it comes out. (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) So if you're on my email list, you will be the first to know. And I'm also doing an early bird discount. And so you want to get in with that price. And also I have to limit it to 14 women. Women. So if you want to make sure that you get on my email list, you'll get all my emails in your promotion folder, the folder that nobody looks in. So you might want to look, at least around that time, andreaowen.com slash free to get on my email list. All right. Today, we have one of my favorite people, Laura McCowan, is back on the show. She's been on the show before. If you are a avid listener, you know. Let me tell you a little bit about her. 
Laura McCowan is the best-selling author of We Are the Luckiest, The Surprising Magic of a Sober Life, and founder of The Luckiest Club. Laura has been published in The New York Times. She's been featured in The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, The Today Show. And her second book, Push Off From Here, Nine Essential Truths to Get You Through Life and Everything Else, is what we're talking about today on the show. And stick around. Even if you do not struggle with alcohol, she and I talk about more than just that. And that's really what her book uh, is about, is just getting through life. We all need, we all could use some more of that. So without further ado, here is Laura. <laughs> Laura, welcome back. Thank you. It's Thank been you. a while since you've been on the show. Like years. Right? I think it has been years. I forget that um, I've been having this podcast for so long. <laughs> so, yeah. There's so many episodes. You have. You are you have stayed the course. I'm I have. Impressed. I was an early adopter, and I've committed, which is uh, which is surprising considering you know my past of addiction and just being all over the place. I'm like, don't right. commit to anything. But um, I'm excited to have you on, partly because you have a new book, and partly because we're doing the recovery theme and talking to people in recovery. And I love to talk to people who are who have years under their belt. Mm-hmm. So, can you, you know, I'm going to link to your other episodes in the show notes where you go into more detail about your story. But can you kind of just give like a brief synopsis about your sobriety and and really like sort of what was the turning point to make you stop drinking? Yeah. Of course, there wasn't just one, but there is a moment that pointed me, that made me realize I have, this isn't going to work anymore. I have to get sober. Uh, and it was leaving my daughter in a hotel room overnight at my brother's wedding in 2013. Uh, so almost, almost 10 years ago. And that, because it was public, my family knew they were there staying in the hotel. It, and it wasn't, most of my, consequences were just, I just knew about them. Right. I, or maybe, you know, my ex-husband, but it was Mm -hmm. my family and it was my daughter, which was, I just still thought as bad as things were, I wasn't going to put her in danger. Yeah. And then I didn't, wasn't she like before? Yeah. I thought she was like four or five. Yeah. She was a baby. Mm -hmm. So that was my turning point. That was 2013. I this shortly thereafter, a week or two after I went to my first 12 step meeting and that st- like all started me on, okay, this has to be over. I didn't want it to be over, yeah. but, and then I, I eventually got sober, uh, in 2014, September. So it took a, a year or so. so. Okay. This is probably like a, a super broad question, but you know, I, I want to keep these episodes kind of broad where, cause I don't want people to, to listen and be like, well, I don't have a problem with alcohol, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I, I know that you and I have had many conversations about drinking for many of us is just like the last symptom or one of the symptoms that mm-hmm. kind of flares up and we realize causes a problem. And I look at it as kind of like a red flag. I think very few people see it at the time. And it's in retrospect that we look back and look at our patterns so in retrospect, what were some other things that were going on in your life, whether it was with relationships or, or work mm-hmm. or whatever, or other substances where you had to take a look at it and not just kind of the thing that you had to stop doing, but like, what was the underlying issue? I, I've obviously thought a lot about this a lot um, and written about it a lot. I know that the the beginning starts with not being 
able to tell the truth about what was going on with me mm-hmm. for a very young age. It was either wasn't safe. It wasn't going to be received by my parents and really just having such an intense uh, fear of being rejected for that. And, and that was real, you know, there were, it wasn't, uh, like most people in our generation, our parents really didn't talk, at least mine didn't talk about anything. And Mm -hmm. not only that, but you need to pretend like everything's fine Mm -hmm. and not even just that either. Like my parents, they got divorced when I was six. I can see now like they both had a lot of issues themselves. And I, for whatever reason, assumed the role of parenting yeah, or being okay. You know, everything's mm-hmm. fine. I'm good. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. And that's the root of it. Like mm-hmm. it's this fundamental sort of dishonesty. It came from a, a place. It wasn't because I was, you know, a bad kid. It just came from a place of wanting to get my needs met, like, like it does for most people. So it was just, there was a split early on. It was like, this is who I, I'm going to pretend to be. And this is who I actually am. And psychologically that split, uh, is really dangerous for anybody. I feel you. I had such a similar experience and, and same, like did not realize it until much later, like not only for my family, was there like the not talking about things and pretending that things were okay, but we made fun of people who, did go to therapy. And Mm -hmm. it was such a, not only was it taboo, but like those people were beneath us. Yeah. And, and, um, I think that's really common. Like they just can't handle their lives. Right. Like we're better than that. Get a grip. (laughs) Like we're smarter, we're stronger. And then also I wonder, I have no idea, just kind of throwing this out. Like, I wonder if there are some people who just have a really low tolerance for that like t- feeling like stuff going on in the family and like nobody's talking about it, but we're too young to even realize what's really going on. I wonder if some people just have more resiliency to that. And then oh, other people sure. just can't. I didn't. I didn't. I, I, and I, I still have a, a really hard time tolerating discomfort from people around me and not wanting to just fix to say it. it. Yeah. And and not assuming it's my responsibility to fix it. And that if I can't fix it, there's something wrong. I'm doing something wrong. I'm failing. That's really deep. It's even uncomfortable for me to just like talk about it now. Like even like my stomach clenches up, like I have like a physiological reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Well, I'm thinking about the audience and I'm, I want to ask you like, what advice do you have? Because I know you work with a lot of people who are who want to start their sobriety journey, but they don't know where to start. And maybe these are people who aren't necessarily, they might not necessarily have a problem with alcohol. Maybe it's relationships. They can't seem to not be in like an anxious attachment style relationship or they're, they're right. very codependent. Like what, what advice do you have for them? Cause I think people just kind of don't know where to start. It feels like, yeah, I think that always the, the first thing is to start to tell the truth somewhere. For a lot of people, it's and and for me, I started to do it on the page first, writing. That's not enough, but it's a good start. It's a yeah. good place to start. It can be really hard, you know, even though it's just you, it can be really hard to do that because once we put something onto paper, it, it seems like it makes it more real. Yeah. Uh, it hurts. It's 
uncomfortable. It brings things up, but uh, there is really power in that. And I always tell people like, if you are so afraid of putting something on paper because someone else might read it, just burn those pages or destroy them. That's a really good place to start. But it it always has to be, I think, like if you're actually going to heal, you're actually going to face things, you have to do that with another person or a group of people. Mm-hmm. But a good place to start and a free place to start is to start writing things down. Start writing things down. I, I encourage people to like password protect it or or burn it or throw it in the trash. Um, I'm going to whip through the your chapter titles for Push Off From Here, which is also mm-hmm. in the show notes. Laura's new book, everybody. Uh, it's not your fault. It is your responsibility. It is unfair that this is your thing. This is your thing. This will never stop being your thing until you face it. You can't do it alone. Only you can do it. You are loved. We will never stop reminding you of these things. So chapter five, this will never stop being your thing until you face it. I feel like that points to what you were just talking about. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the most practical, uh, actionable chapter in the book. I talk about five sort of core practices of sobriety. And again, it's not sobriety is not just about alcohol or substances. It's about the capacity to sort of, I think, be honest and present with yourself in your life. Mm -hmm. And one of the core practices is honesty. And I don't, nothing gets better until we can find a place to be honest, to feel safe being honest. I mean, for a lot of people too, it's a matter of safety. They don't feel safe being honest for good reasons. So I lied and and I lied to every therapist I had until probably... (laughs) go because I just couldn't stomach it. I I just could not allow myself to, I was so ashamed and embarrassed. And I just, were you worried about, this is so interesting. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you more questions about that. Were you more worried about their reaction or was it even before that just the words coming out of your mouth was just too much to, to handle? I had such a deep need to look okay Mm -hmm. and to, to look smart, to look like I wasn't stupid or weak. And so that was like the driving. And I don't, I didn't know that. I didn't see that for till much later. I mm-hmm. still have that in me. I still, oh, yeah, same. I can perform really well in a, in a therapist's office. And so it was, it was that. And then I was definitely didn't believe like this is a judgment-free zone. <laughs> like I just, I didn't buy it. Like I hear those words, but I don't like. There's no such thing. <laughs> I could, and I also couldn't. I just couldn't get myself to say the words. It just, it's a practice. That's what people, you know, a lot of times don't understand is that honesty is really a practice. It's not mm-hmm. something we either are or aren't. And there are always very good reasons, unless you know you're truly sociopathic or psycho psychopathic. There's mm-hmm. really good reasons why you withhold the truth. Yeah, and sometimes it becomes such a habit. That you don't even know you're doing it. You don't even realize you're lying. Yeah. I, no, I've, I've certainly been there. And I, you make, a, I have never really thought about, you know, the whole safe place thing or judgment free zone. I think very few people grow up where they see any evidence of that. Totally. You, you know, like they might go to therapy or their parent might say that or they have a friend, but they have probably so much evidence of that not being true, <laughs> not being safe. Mm-hmm. And maybe they've tried it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all 
told a secret to someone like starting in elementary school and had that secret be told. Or, I mean, I remember when I was in coach training and I was like in my early thirties at that point, I shared something with some, one of the other trainees and she gasped and I was like, (laughs) okay, never going to do that again. Like, you know, and, and I, you remember all of those instances or even just a nuance, like a, like a tiny body movement of a therapist Mm. that we may be making up is judgment or something discomfort on their end. Like we become so attuned to other people's body movements and facial expressions. Like I get that, like that whole, like, and I think especially for girls, like we get just masterful at putting on this proving, performing, perfecting, pleasing. Yep. Totally. It was so strong in me, this need to, to not look weak. That's what Mm. it was for me. Mostly this need to not appear weak, uh, that I, I, and I had bad therapists too. Like the first yeah. couple that I went to, the the first I remember the one of the first ones. I got I I got pregnant with my husband. Um, without we weren't planning to. I didn't want to. I was mm-hmm. like having an affair. I was really fucked up, and I found out that I was pregnant one morning. And then canceled my appointment with her that it was a couple hours later, supposed to be a couple hours later after I found out. And she said, well, why, why do you think that's an emergency? Like, why do you think like, this isn't, you have to keep your commitment to me. And so it just felt like there was no humanity in there. Uh And like, I, I, I sort of get it now. Um, but I was so like that was one of many examples where I felt like, fuck, I can't be myself. I can't have any sort of weakness or falter in any way without it being, and she quit on me after that. Without being judged. Yeah. Yeah. Or assumptions so, being made. Or assumptions being made or, and, and the, the bottom line is I just felt like such shit about myself. Mm-hmm. I was just so, I was I was an afraid, very afraid, very hypersensitive. When you're in that place, it's hard to have any kind of resiliency or like self-compassion. Completely. And I was drinking at that time a Mm -hmm. lot, like really, really drinking a lot too. And that always set me up to be more anxious, more ashamed, more, you know, your brain actually changes in in ways that keep you in that sort of hypervigilance state. So... I'm interrupting this conversation to bring you a few words from one of our sponsors. If the last few years have taught us anything, it's that our mental health is of the utmost of importance. Am I right? You know, this is a topic that we talk about a lot on the show, and I've shared with you my own personal experiences around my own mental health, and that my mental health took a bit of a nosedive over the course of the pandemic. And one of the things I knew about even before the pandemic was how much meditation helped my mental health. And that's why I love Headspace. Headspace improves mental health through guided meditations. They have mindfulness practices, breathing and calming exercises, which is my absolute favorite. 
is the breath work, and they have so much more. They can help you reduce anxiety, boost your mood, help you sleep better. Headspace has the world's largest library of content with over a 1,000 hours of clinically proven mental health exercises. They have a wide range of teachers with diverse backgrounds and areas of expertise. It's pretty specific and niche in there. I highly, highly recommend it. Again, I love the breath work. That's the one that I've been doing a few times a week. Headspace has helped me and more than 100 million people worldwide. They can help you too. So listen up. You do not want to miss this. I've arranged something special for a limited time. All of you can try Headspace for free for 30 days. No, no money, zero dollars. By going to headspace.com slash noise 30. You won't find this offer anywhere else. And you must use my link, H-E-A-D, S-P-A-C-E dot com slash noise 30 to unlock all of the Headspace free for 30 days. This is not something they normally do. Headspace.com slash noise 30. And again, thank you for supporting our sponsors because that in turn supports this show. In regard to, to this book, because the the subtitle is Nine Essential Truths to Get You Through Sobriety and Everything Else. Like, What are some other sort of behaviors if you will, that people have come to you for, or that you've seen people be helped by that, that maybe where drinking isn't sort of their nemesis where I think people listening to this, where it might not be drinking, but it might very well be relationships. Yeah. Relationships are almost always in there. If we have a a good amount of dysfunction in any area of our lives, our relationships suffer. And so in the relationship wound is usually the core wound. We have attachment issues we have just you know trauma that keeps us from having healthy relationships being able to relate to others in an honest way uh so that i now see that as always like the ground zero eating disorders or disordered eating stuff with food body Mm -hmm. stuff other you know there's a million process addictions and um substance addictions are only one small part of it, but it's all the same and it's almost always rooted in trauma. Yeah. And so how it shows up is almost irrelevant, you know? Yes, I had to specifically deal with the thing around alcohol. But now eight years sober, I've seen like, oh, it's it shows up in multiple places. This need to escape oneself, mm-hmm. this inability to f- sit with what's going on inside of me or to sit with what's going on with other people and not take it on. I had very anxious attachments romantically, not with friendships, but very anxious attachments and love addiction. And that was like a major swirl. I look at it as, you know, all these things are behaviors that we create to survive and to withstand pain that we're feeling or not even just pain. It's just an inability to be with our own energy. Like I drink just as much for the like upper register mm-hmm. of things than I did for, for pain because I have like this energy, there's a lot of energy yeah. in me and it felt very, um, from a young age felt very unmanageable mm-hmm. and, you know, and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And then of course it requires relief. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have, yeah, I played sports in high school and that helped, but I didn't have healthy ways to to use this or I even understand yeah. it. I just didn't. And so it ha- all that stuff has to go somewhere. And so we develop these 
either substance addictions, process addictions, ways of coping that that work in some way. Like they're really intelligent. Yeah, that's what I was exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, it works until it doesn't. Yeah, they're really intelligent, actually. And but, you know, they have consequences. And ultimately, the pain becomes too great. And so we have to figure out how to how to be otherwise and develop healthier things. And and I, again, I think that always comes back like the ground zero is always honesty, this ability to start, even if it's a very, in a very small way, talking about what's going on with you, what had been going on with you, what you're, what you actually want. I mean, if you think about women, especially, and you said, you know, we are trained to be performers, pleasers, helpers above all, and there's this fundamental disconnect that can happen because there's nothing wrong with with helping. There's nothing wrong right. with caring about what people, you know, being attuned to people's needs. But when it causes you to abandon yourself and make choices that are not in line with what you actually want or what you actually need, what you actually value, that pain is massive. And, yeah. and we don't escape it. That's the thing. We can't ultimately it catches up with us always. I look at it as all the same. I mean, I've had people say, you know, this has helped me get through an eating disorder. This helped me get through grief. This has helped me get through the, my, one of my kids being addicted, divorce. You know, we have like the premise of my first book is we all have things. We, every single one of us, none of us escapes that. My thing happened to be alcohol or or the the sort of primary one that was going to kill me was alcohol, Mm -hmm. but we all have things. Yeah, man, that self-abandonment thing, I, I think was such a, a kick in the face to me to realize like that that's what I had been doing like most of my life, if not at least my my adult life of just spending so much time. And again, as as girls and women were conditioned to put everyone's needs before our own mm-hmm. at the detriment of our own humanity. I mean, for the sake of sounding dramatic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> At the detriment of our own humanity and like the constant self-abandonment, like the constant like, not listening to my own instincts, mm-hmm. um, questioning my instincts and just uh, almost like I was running around with like orange cones, like making sure everybody was okay. And then resenting them when they did, when they weren't grateful for all of the, well, yeah. I mean, talk about codependence, right? Just being mad at them for not really acknowledging how much work I was doing for them and like how, how great I was but feeling I mean, was stuck like, to, to continue doing it because that's what good, right. Good women do. That's what good mothers do. Mm-hmm. You're right. running this. Like I felt like I was doing my job. Yeah. And why wasn't I being rewarded for it? Right. Or appreciated felt, or why am I so mm-hmm. miserable if I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing? Why isn't this making right. me feel happy. Why isn't this fulfilling? So the cycle starts all over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we try hard, instead of telling the truth, like we try harder with codependence or we drink more Mm -hmm. or we use more, we chase relationships more. And yeah. And I think like everybody gets to the point where they sort of fall on their face and you can call it rock bottom. You can call it falling on your face. You can call it just, you know, like not being able to take another step doing the thing that, that you're doing anymore. I want to point out too, and, and I would love your take on this, like the work is never ending. Like you and I have years, probably a, a couple decades between the two of us, but still, still. <laughs> I know you never like arrive, but no. it does get better and easier. Yeah. 
it gets I'll tell different. you what, telling the truth like is feels so much better than lying to yourself, wouldn't you say? I don't have the capacity to anymore. Like I know, me neither. I I know how sick it will make me. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like when you take the, the steps to create a life that is more integrated, what what the way I thought of it was. I wrote in like 2014 when I was tr- when I was starting to get sober. I wrote a, on a piece of paper in my journal one version, and that was like what I wanted one version of myself in the world instead of all the different versions because I had a version of myself that would be with you and mm-hmm. a different friend and the men I was dating and my family and. It was all about secrets and like managing perceptions and not, you know, withhold with withholding certain truths so that I could keep, you know, your good opinion of me and all of that. And that that is exhausting. It's painful. But in recovery, I have the honest what honesty does is it allows you to create to to integrate into one version, right? And it's not yeah. that I'm the same person with you that I am with like my boyfriend. But I don't have any secrets. Yeah. Right. I can choose privacy. I can choose to withhold, but I'm showing up as I actually am. And mm-hmm. once you do that, there's just so much less of a burden. Like life is mm-hmm. still life. Shit still happens. Pain, you know, we, we're going to lose shit and we're going to have a heartbreak and our kids are going <laughs> to, our kids are going to test us and hurt right. us and, all the things, you know, people are going to die and and all the same things still happen. But because I, there's not a bunch of filler in between like who I actually am in the world and all these secrets I'm trying to keep, I can just show up. Yeah. So it's not that, yeah, recovery work or work or life doesn't change. It doesn't end, but man, it gets so much easier. And I, I would it say does. too, like, I have just felt that in the past two years. Like it took that long for me to feel. I was reading, I moved my website recently. So I was like reading old blog posts from 2016, 17, 18. I'm like, God, you know, everything was so hard. Like I can just mm-hmm. feel it in my words, you know? Everything was a struggle. Not everything, but I was slog. in a lot of pain a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And there were major parts of my life that were really painful and stressful. I had a lot of cleanup to do. Yeah. Do you, here's how I describe it. And I'm curious how you feel about this. I describe it as now I understand because before I didn't trust that I could walk through something hard or that I could tell the truth. And like I would, and that's why I would either drink or, you know, do all these behaviors in order to avoid that. Now I know it's going to hurt. And I know that I'm going to be okay on the other end. And on a really great day, I know I'm going to be better for it on the other end. Right. You can already see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that understanding and trusting myself and like the the no longer self-abandoning, just like trusting myself and trusting my heart that I can, that I have the resilience to be okay on the other end. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to live through it. And before I thought I would die. Yeah, that's, I would say that's true for me as well. Nadia Boltz Weber, I interviewed her a while back and she said, she's got like 30 years of sobriety. And she said, we were talking about the pandemic and she said she, you know, feels like recovery actually prepared her for the pandemic because she, she has this incredible weight bearing structure now and has like, that's it. 
Mm-hmm. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can, yeah. I can handle stuff, you know, and I'm not, it's not that I'm invincible and I still have meltdowns and, and, and I can be hurt. But yeah, there's an incredible weight bearing structure because you've walked yeah. through, you know, you know what you're actually capable of. Mm-hmm. You walked through that pain in an honest and real way and it didn't annihilate you. Mm-hmm. And so you build strength from that and you stop fearing the pain. Like that's, I think the main thing it's like, mm-hmm. you don't want the pain, no, but you don't rather see pass. it as a problem. <laughs> well, you don't see it as like, it's going to be the death of me. Yeah. Or that there's something wrong with you. Right. I make it less about me than I used to as well. So even before, like if my husband and I were in couples counseling or something, and there'd be a question that I wanted to ask him, but I'd be afraid of the answer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that feeling where you're like, I'm really curious about this. And my it's been like bugging me in my gut. But if he answers me the way I don't, it's going to be so painful. And I'm going to feel so rejected and abandoned. I'm just going to pretend like this question does not. <laughs> not Absolutely. Now, I still don't want to hear the answer that I don't want to hear. But like, it's so interesting now. It's almost like I'm a narrator of my own life. Like I watch it happen and I'm like, well, that fucking hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that didn't go very well. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> and I can still walk out of this office and take a full breath into my lungs and I'm still me and I'm still loved. And it just that I can tell you like the, the separation of making someone's feelings about me, like truly not about me, mm-hmm. if I'm making sense, like mm-hmm. it's, it's about them. And I know it's so easy to like read those words and self-help books and stuff. But like when you, when you can really integrate that, I love that you use that word. That to me is worth all the sobriety because yeah. I had a hard time with that. I always made it about me. Well, they there's a saying in in AA, and I don't love everything that AA says, but man, they get a lot of things right. They do have a lot of good sayings. They, there, <laughs> there's a lot that's right with the with the, that program, but there's this concept called the obsession of self, mm-hmm. and that that's like one of the main afflictions. And I wouldn't say it even just belongs to people who are addicted. It's, I think, right. people who experience trauma and a lot of pain. And that the obsession of self sounds like, oh, I think I'm so amazing, you know, but it's not that. It's just, yeah, I, no. <laughs> I think of myself so much. Everything has to be about, everything is about me. And I'm mm-hmm. constantly everything making a reflection up, of me. I'm constantly making up stories about mm-hmm. what you think of me or what, what you're, if you say you have a reaction to, something that is that seems like it's uh negative and i a- automatically make that about me you know you canceled plans mm-hmm. because you ha- you were busy oh she doesn't care about me she doesn't like me oh she must be talking about me you know it's like very um like my teen my daughter's 13 it's like being in a 13 year old's mind mm-hmm. where they actually mm-hmm. are self obsessed you know they're trying their egos yeah. are trying to form and all that and so it's living like that. What do they call it for teenagers? The invisible audience. I've heard parenting experts. Call oh it my that. god, uh, that sounds. They think or... like everybody's talking about me, and it's like literally no. I one know, is. <laughs> but I. I mean that it feels like it, it feels real. And when mm-hmm. you when you are in that, and, it, and you know, it's especially acute if people for people that struggle with addiction because you are doing things that are regretful and shameful, and so you've got this added layer of like, oh, they know. Or, or I'm going to be found mm-hmm. out, and it just like constant obsession of self 
that lift, that has lifted. Okay, everyone. The book is called Push Off From Here, Nine Essential Truths to Get You Through Sobriety and Everything Else. Laura McCowan, thank you so much for being here. I, we could talk for it's another so hour. Good to see you. Um, I, I got through only like three of the five questions <laughs> I wanted good. to ask you. We'll put the book in the show notes and your site and all of your social media stuff. And I just appreciate your friendship and I appreciate you Same. and your writing. And it's so helpful to people. And where do you want everyone to go? Do you want them to go to the book or somewhere else? Well, I want people to buy the book. <laughs> yeah, always. No, the best place to to find me is probably like with all my, all the stuff is my website. It's just my name. LauraMcCowan.com. And that'll be in the show notes. Thank you so much. And everyone, thank you. I'm so grateful that you're here and that you choose to spend your time with me. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes. AndreaOwen.com slash free. And you just sign up. You get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed. 